0: Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the founder's journey.
1: Um, okay, Chris, I am super pumped uh, about uh, this uh, series that we're doing. So we are going to do five seasons uh, underneath The Startup DNA Introductory Podcast, which we did a week ago, and each of these seasons is going to represent a certain vector. And there are five vectors that we place individual profiles of different people that we have go through our Startup DNA. Startup DNA, if you don't know, is an app inside of our Wendell platform technology, which Kinetic Ventures uses to help make investment decisions and also post-investment decisions. We use the tool to help grow these teams in a unique way. So this season, uh, we're starting with the enterpriser vector. And this episode, we're going to talk about the accelerator profile. So first, let me just read some straight data that we have about enterprisers and accelerators. And then we'll get in to talk about some cool stuff that we've noticed from some of our relationships So again, today we're talking about the accelerator profile. The accelerator is a member of the enterpriser vector. There are five vectors. The two major traits of all enterprisers, these are very proactive and very assertive people. If I was to give one sentence to describe enterprisers, I would say they take charge or they get energy from taking charge and making decisions inside the enterpriser vector there are four profiles the accelerator being one profile and what makes the accelerator unique amongst the other enterprisers is uh, at top speed the accelerator is the fastest of the enterpriser and also these are probably generally the friendliest some of the things that we've noticed when working with accelerators at work normally we do find them in leadership positions or in positions that give them a lot of autonomy on their day to day activities with less oversight, or maybe some new initiative that, that a company would be doing. In their personal lives, we have found them to be well networked, lived active lifestyles, and we've even known a few to race cars. So that's pretty cool. And at Kinetic Side, we are a data driven VC. And here's some data points that we currently have on the accelerator profile. As CEO of innovation-driven startups, they have been successful in performing for their team and investors 70% of the time. As just an overall teammate in any position, those teams with an accelerator on it have been successful 67% of the time. So that's about the same. And if you put that into comparison of the you know, general population outside of the enterpriser, most innovation-driven enterprises and startups have only been successful 34% of the time. So, so far, what we've noticed is sticking an accelerator in a leadership or CEO role has been twice as effective as the average bear. Yep. Yeah, and they're the
0: as far as we've been collecting, they're the most successful, uh, both CEO and team member. So, uh, if you're listening to this and wondering, how can I get my startup off the ground? How can I win? Uh, we'd say go find an accelerator. Uh, so the next, now that you guys have a little bit more context on the accelerator, which lives in the Enterprise vector, you know, what we're doing here is we're going to dive into four specific uh, overarching topics and then give you direct quotes from prior podcast episodes. Uh, the two CEOs were featuring Blake Smith and Alex Burkhart. Uh, both prior founders, companies Kinetic has invested in, and both accelerators. So this is our first shot at this. Uh, Give us a break if it's uh, a little disjointed, but we're feeling pretty good about it and super excited to dive into my favorite profile, the accelerator. So the first thing you'll notice, biggest overarching topic that you'll see with the naked eye is these people move fast, talk fast, challenge status quo, and really struggle being part of large organizations,
2: you know this really well you've coined me as the accelerator in your your windle startup DNA assessment that you created underneath kinetic. I was an accelerator when I was at Macy's. Uh, I was the first promoted in my class uh, from about fifteen students that came from a bunch of universities across the, the country and and I just I, I did things fast moved fast put myself out there networked and then ultimately what I realized was oh great I got a 5% 10% pay bump for all that hard work and not that that the same person that uh grew up always wanting to to move fast challenge the status quo and and and, and shock the world in different ways and so the Procter and Gamble thing was hey I need to have a company that I can trust right and i just went through a uh, an experience where i lost uh a sense of what i could trust in, in, in someone else compared to what i was doing before and and so that allowed me to buy a house get married and and do the things around my life that were just needed for me to to kind of recharge so to speak and what was funny though is is that probably was the worst time of my life from a career perspective not personal perspective of where I was really just lost, right? I was, I was bored. Uh, it was great, but it, the speeds in which we were moving, the things that we were doing, yes, we, we, we did some awesome things. I got to still sharpen some skills of mine I helped.
3: And uh, so we just are rapidly breaking it and trying new things, much to the frustration of my team because um, they, they're like, hey, we got a thing that works. We got customers who are paying us that like us and we're just ruining it for them in pursuit of something that we don't even know if we can achieve. Um, but for, and from my standpoint, I'm like, but we've, the model that we've created, we've committed that we're going after a billion dollar exit for these investors. So I felt kind of caught in between those two things.
1: So those were, I love listening to those quotes from those founders. And, you know, one of the things when, you know, when we listen to Alex literally say out loud that I want to challenge the status quo and shock the world. And I just think just that one word in in his quote is just showcases the difference in the way enterprisers or startups talk shock the world. I don't think a lot of people are super comfortable. They don't want to shock anybody. No. Um, and so that's the that's the first jump out at me. Like and and the excitement in his voice, you know, when he says that. Um, of how important that is, I I think if you look across the social media landscape, and if we didn't do anything else other than say, okay, enterprisers or maybe accelerators, they want to shock the world. I bet you could name a few that that probably go in there. So that one, that one, that quote really hit me, and I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, and something correlated
0: this profile. They're really working towards independence and autonomy. Uh, some profiles are driven by money or status. This one, uh, th- all they care about is being independent and in what they're doing, running organizations. So, uh, yeah, and we we named this before Alex took the assessment and had our whole profile set up. But when the word accelerator comes into my head, I immediately think of Alex it's it's one of those that's like okay yeah that that describes him to a t so it's kind of funny how that worked out Uh, another thing blake mentioned uh, they were plateauing they were really struggling to break through that two million dollar mark regardless of what they did or how they marketed how they switched their target group and so something he was tasked by investor investors uh, become a billion dollar company and to do this you had to break everything and for blake he knew that was part of the game and he was definitely up for it but he did say you know, breaking it was super frustrating to his team which you know, a lot of people if something's working you know i'm sure a lot of his team members and he even said it you know we've got two million dollar business we're uh, you know we're making 1.5 it's super repeatable but at some point, status quo isn't good enough, especially when you're getting pressure and thoughts from investors. So, Blake, yeah, accelerators have no problem with that. Okay,
1: how big? Yeah, let's go do it. I mean, you can listen to it in his voice. I mean, he didn't. He was very. He was he was he was almost matter of fact. Like, we have, of course this is what this is what we have to do, and his his comfort level with that versus his own admission to, to the frustration. You know uh, of his team so that, so you can see right then and there I mean that's one of the things that I've been learning through all this is we're just not the same I mean we are hardwired differently and that means the way that we react to different tasks at hand or different internal or external motivations you know was gonna be was gonna be different and then so here was Blake and I know we'll go into some different things that he said on this topic a little bit later but he was forced with an external motivating factor that hey, you've made promises, you have other stakeholders now, and we'd really like to see a billion dollar business and what you have today is not. So for Blake it was obvious. He's like, Oh, okay. So that means I have to destroy what I have and we have to experiment. And I you know, I I know, you know, from some of the other podcasts that we've done, I encourage everyone to listen to all of them with the other enterprises. I think that experimentation, that's thats a common theme amongst enterpriser and their comfort level with breaking and, and experimentation. Um, there's a r- really famous you know, startup founder named Mark Zuckerberg. And it, I think at Facebook, I don't, I don't know the direct quote off the top of my head, but he, he said in the early years, we just move fast and break stuff. And I think there's a lot of big companies that are completely uncomfortable with that. And so that's probably a people or a cultural thing. Yeah, two of the strengths we have written in our technical manual,
0: thrives on being challenged, focused on hitting goals. So when Blake was told, yeah, this is the new goal, figure it out, that was, I'm sure he was, those are some of the most fun months, even though it didn't pan out how he was expecting, it was probably the most exciting time versus just launching the company from the beginning.
1: I would would vouch for that. I I, I bet the only thing that drug him down was the frustration on his team. Not that the outcome ever would have been different, because if you listen to the Blake you know, podcast, he can tell you the business at the end of the day, what they had was not a Tyrannosaurus Rex or a unicorn. It, it was it was just a really good business, so good in fact that you know somebody it's wanted Triceratops. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> somebody wanted to run that um, full time, but but he didn't. And um, I think that's fascinating, and I think it leads into. Let's talk about the, the quote that we heard from Alex Burkhart because I think this goes into the motivations of Enterpriser when Alex is talking about all those wonderful things when he went to work for Procter & Gamble that p g provided for him and there was security and there was an income and there was benefits and so he could get married, have a baby and a house, buy a house and he's like, that was the worst time in my professional career. That blew my mind.
0: Yeah. and that, I'm curious your take on this. Do, do you think after hearing that, you know, you've been an entrepreneur your whole life, so you don't have experience working for a big company, but can accelerators be successful in big corporations? And if so, I, if I was a big co-listening to this, how the hell should I make sure they, they stay within my organization and how do I utilize them the
1: best? A hundred percent enterprisers can be successful in big corporations i mean first is the obvious way you're a big corporation and so there's just continuous new opportunities or you know for for an enterpriser it's not so much like the ambition of like power and money but it is it's those goals those achievements of i i've accomplished this milestone and therefore i get to finish this part of I'm doing this job for Procter & Gamble, whoever, and I get promoted to move on to the next job. So, so they can be very successful um, in climbing up and doing new things. Uh, but they could just be any, if you're in a competitive environment against, I mean, it could be against hostile takeovers, mergers and acquisitions, I mean, a aggressive marketing campaign. If you feel you're losing a battle, at your company, and you want to turn the tide, then you've got to go find your enterprisers. Change. Change is what enterprisers do better than anything else. And the beautiful thing about enterprisers that people don't fully understand is even though they're future thinking and ambitious, money only matters to a point. I mean, literally, Alex says it right there. He's like, yeah, you know, I thought about my future and... Yeah, you know, I guess I could have had a comfortable life. And he punted it when he has a baby and a spouse at home to take care of. Still didn't matter to him. So I think the enterpriser, you know, I'm a disruptor, and I've always wondered my whole life, how come no one has ever offered me a job?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, even Blake said it too. He took two months off, and then his market value had ballooned. you know, he was worth a lot to a lot of different people. He decided, you know, he's done some consulting, but now he's back in the startup game, making, I'm sure, you know, half, maybe more, than, less than half of what he could be earning anywhere else. And, and so, yeah, it, there, there's a component to this. That's what drives you, what, what's the end reward you're seeking. And it, based on the research, it doesn't appear that money is the number one you know, it's certainly somewhere in the list where it probably is for everyone to a degree, but yeah, that's one of the most interesting things, uh, just having learned this and then seeing this, uh, experience it's, it's pretty unusual.
1: So I think that's a cool segue into the next section of quotes, uh, and snippets that we want to hear from their original podcast, part of their ability to not care about money. The accelerator is super scrappy. So let's listen to those
2: quotes and then let's uh let's comment on them a little bit would have taken millions and millions of marketing dollars and as you know as well and the the term you've coined for me scrappy uh i was i was being as scrappy as i could to get marketing out there whether that was putting uh, Tixer's cornhole boards at Geist or having an intern sit front row at the crosstown shootout with a, a Tixers post poster board or getting on 1530 with uh lance McAllister, or on the tv at the list uh or or a cincinnati.com article anything i could do to stay scrappy continue to talk about my narrative and my story and i'll be honest i did i went through that i was like I, i mean i believe in my company but i also know that at times you you have to fake it till you make it and and where's that where's that uh dotted line where it's like whoa no i mean i need to be authentic here and say hey this is where i'm at this is where i think i can go and that's tough and
3: um so we had cash in the bank really for the first time ever um we've been alive for four years but it never had had more than three hundred thousand dollars in the bank and so we were always kind of like just looking to raise for the next just to stay alive so we had a, a legitimate 18 months of runway coming out of there and that was like the real shot and i'd say we hired up people that were necessary. We also hired up some people that were not necessary. And I'd say that was probably an error. Um, Didn't realize even free help had a lot of cost to the organization. And so I I think that was a mistake that we made.
0: Yeah, so uh, first Alex, he gave a lot of great visuals and examples of how he was scrappy with his Tixers business, whether that's signs, uh, uh, shootout, save your events, cornhole boards at a local brewery, Growth marketing. We've tapped him at Kinetic to help us with. You know, we, we're on a shoestring budget always. That's why we're in this makeshift, amazing studio at our office. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we ask him all the time. He he can get a thousand job applicants from some really cool growth hacks. While you know we might get fifty. It's it's a very. He's just good at it, and and I think it drives them. They're excited. They're like, okay, I only have. Hundred dollars to spend. Well, let's go do it. Uh, our other you know, partner Kim keeps bothering me about this show where billionaires are dropped somewhere and given a hundred dollars, and they have to figure out and build a business or something. But I always have that visual uh, when Alex talks about being scrappy, and he's like, "Oh, well, you could do this for like fifty bucks." Um, so I, it's uh, yeah, I think it gives them energy, and they're just really good at being creative and. There's probably a part to them, they don't want to raise a ton of money because,
1: frankly, they don't need it. Yeah. I have no idea what um, the discrepancies are in the percentage of success in unicorns uh, off the top of my hand, but we do know that accelerators have been successful 70% of the time, and that's twice as good. I mean, do you think, I mean, scrappiness pays? a role in that as far as they, you know, they, they just don't run out of money because they never needed it to begin with. That's
0: the great question Uh, we talk about all the time is that I think they generate the best cash on cash returns. I don't know if this type of person creates Airbnb or even WeWork is, you know, very famous example of a startup gone completely wrong. raised copious sums of money, it was always out spending, you know, the opposite of scrappy. You you can balloon in valuation. You almost have to in venture capital, right? If if you're taking on a million, well, then you have to be worth a billion. It's just the general ownership dynamics of being in venture capital. I don't think accelerators would really feel comfortable taking on 100 million because they know they couldn't spend it efficiently. And so I think I think that this profile is probably not the ones that are IPOing for you know, twenty billion plus, but I think they're the ones selling for fifty to two hundred million and having raised very little capital, which at the end of the day, their returns are a lot better cash on cash than ones that continue to raise and raise. And we
1: don't know either. No. So a company that IPOs, who's to say it didn't start with an accelerator? Yeah, you know, accelerators no idea. got you you know, you can't have failure to launch. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather invest in 20 companies with 20 accelerators, knowing that 19 of them are going to get into market and, Absolutely. you know, get gets revenue and KPI tractions and, and be super interesting. And who knows, maybe, maybe those companies get, you know, to the point, you know, uh, just like Alex said, when he was at PNG, I'm bored. Well, then there's an opportunity to switch up the team. Um, that is necessary, but I think, I think part of the success of these founders on cash on cash returns is, you know, they make every dollar count. And, uh, I think, at least from our perspective, we are talking about flyover country here, right? So, you know, we, we operate, you know, strong out of about 47 out of 50 states, uh, in Canada. And so that might be a little bit different than the coast, but they're killing it. Um, you know as as the bottom line and i think some of that uh i don't i don't know how th- good this comment will go over or not but we did just listen to the quote alex said it fake it till you make it
0: <laughs> i yeah. mean
1: you gotta get off the ground and that's
0: you know, we're talking Enterprise or vector there's another one that could not fake it till no. you make it and that's a specialist they and we're not talking about fraud here right oh, we're no. talking about something different yes it's You have an idea, you probably have a MVP, you know, it works, you know, the vision of it, it just might not be the full vision, like played out in a beautiful app or a beautiful product, but you know where it's going. And you tell, you sell people on the vision less on the, what's in front of you. And the specialist is, is super detailed and has to get it right. So uh, there's a point where fake it till you make it, you have to get. Launch, like Brad said, you have to get off the ground, and these people are just exceptional at doing that, whether uh, through kind of any means necessary.
1: I someone ex- said the phrase or explained this to me many years ago that you know sometimes in a startup you're you're laying the train track right in front of the train, and I think accelerators are super comfortable with that. That's okay. Um, they know that there'll be enough. Uh, resources, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute, because it's something that brings them joy, and and they know where they're going, and therefore it's like just in time inventory. Boom! Grab the resource when they need it, put it down in front of them, uh, and sell that vision because they, you know, they they are they're they're flying really high. I've never seen a profile. Uh, you know, I make fun of Alex sometimes. He has too much going on; it makes me dizzy. You know, but for him, I think he wants more. It's just impossible for my brain to comprehend.
0: (laughs) Uh, So going from, you know, like what makes them, what they're good at, uh, you know, you heard it from both Blake and Alex that, and you'll, uh, if you'd listen to it, you're about to listen to a little bit more, but they they talk about what, what really brought them down and what was, you know, the worst parts, um, worst things in building their company and selling. Uh so let's let's give that a little listen right now.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the hardest part of it all. If I look back and continue to look at it, is like the other pieces weren't weren't that bad and th- and that was a fun ride that no matter what, I could control. I mean, I, I knew that I had a small staff of people that I could support and I was very transparent with what we had in the bank account. Uh, they they knew my philosophies and methodologies which were to move fast, but also, I mean, again, we were pretty frugal on how we did things. I mean, even when we raised capital, we weren't going on big trips uh, you know across the uh, the country. I mean, we were still doing what we could, but when we did, we we stayed in the cheapest motel in, in Las Vegas for a conference together, right? Uh, we We you know tried to save every penny that we could, even though we had it. And so those systems and methodologies and and my kind of 100% control of the culture, regardless of of the fact that we raised capital, I mean, that was also why I went the route that I did. I wanted to continue to maintain as much control as possible. And when we got acquired, that all kind of changed, right? Uh,
3: You have to be really careful when you're bringing on an incubator or someone with a lot of clout like that, because essentially at the point of should we continue or not, everyone looked at Mike Jones who led science, and they didn't look at me. And I'd, I had essentially handed over my clout to him by having him as a board observer. And I didn't realize, because he was so close to the business, that his and he had so much more context than me, his voice had more weight than I did. Um, and that was a new dynamic that I didn't realize that it had happened until it had happened. Um, and so I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm actually happy with the outcome. But it, it's a reality that I think I wasn't really aware, with, uh, aware of when I started with them. The, the sale process was grueling. Um, I, I'd never been through anything like that. And a lot of it was that I, I felt kind of like a middleman between um, a handful of my investors and then uh, Colin, who was kind of running on the sale on the buy side. And I felt like I was kind of jumping in between. Um, and the truth is, is that from a representative standpoint, the investors owned more than I did at that point. So looking at their wishes, uh, it, it, it was kind of a strange conflict. And I don't love conflict as a person. Um, I also don't love detail as a person. <laughs> um I know I, all this. Right. <laughs> right. And so it's like uh essentially detailed conflict is what a, a buying process is. The sale the selling of a company is detailed conflict. And so it was kind of the perfect storm for what I hate. So
1: that I thought that was incredible. Um I never thought about going through the sale process. Um, whether it, you know, when you have an opportunity to, to put a feather in your cap or to get that gold star, you know, being so, so grueling. And when they, when they, when they say that, when they use such descriptive words, you know, grueling, or that was the hardest part. I mean, think about this. They start on this journey. And if you're an innovation driven tech startup, then your ultimate goal, one way or the other is to sell. And. But I don't think if they've not been through that process, then, I mean, that should be a glorious time, right? I mm-hmm. should Do be like, think? should be like, hell yeah, here we go. This fight did it. Boom. Done. I'm awesome. But it was pretty clear from listening to them, you know, compared to the excitement in their voices, you know, when they were talking about, you know, some of the other things that they enjoyed doing, you know, they go down a little level here and they're like, oh, dude, this was not, this was not good. This was not So as good as they are at launching, this is a different animal for them. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know
0: know them personally, at least through the start to sale process. What were the similarities between both of them? And why do you think that drained them so much more than just running a business?
1: Well, I think the first thing is they have total lack of control. And autonomy, because now all of a sudden it really is answering to all stakeholders. And so they don't they don't have to do that, uh, even if you have stakeholders. And, yeah, the more stake, you know, Blake will say if you listen to his podcast, you know, the more stakeholders, you know, you, you, you have, you know, the, the more their perspectives are going to become a part of your company and your culture. But but as CEO of any company you have, I mean, day to day, you've got autonomy. You have liberties that you can do. But going through the sales process, I, you know, I suspect just that bump and grind from, you know, this lawyer to that lawyer to this banker to this board member to this co-founder, you know, there's just complete loss of control. That's like the opposite of how an accelerator would drive energy. I mean, that's number one. And then number two, we're not launching. We're landing, and this—that's nothing fun in there um, for the accelerator. Only, only the launch is, you know, going to give them energy. And if you if you look and just listen to their podcast, what they both do after it—they use different language, but it's the same thing: decompression or a break or whatever. And it's because of it's because of the exit. Is it sucked so much energy? They leaned in and behavior modification and all that, but I'm talking they literally spent months, if not years, of stockpiled energy. They weren't capable of doing their next thing right away. That's how grueling this was to them. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Did you see similarities between the two in terms of how they handled it, communicated with investors, communicated even with the ecosystem uh, that's, that, to me, is a super fascinating part. And now three and a half years into venture capital, you know, it's a super long timeline. So I'm just now seeing exits and how founders handle it and just that, that process, which is really crazy. Uh, were there similarities or was it pretty different
1: in how they handled it? Totally similar. Uh, and, and I don't know if this is an accelerator thing or if it's something else that's in there about – um, you know Blake and Alex, which this is a fun topic too, is they both had kids during this process. And if you listen to the other podcast, I literally think six of seven of the enterprisers were growing families during this startup time. But they handled it great, um, despite it, despite it being grueling. And they over communicated. And I, I, you'd have to ask them. I couldn't tell you. If that was the, well, you know, I want to make sure that I keep bridges open for my my future launch or they're just or what that was or they're just um, I mean, Blake says it in in his podcast, probably really good. And when he talks about winning, you know, and as an entrepreneur, you you win no matter what, as long as you're not a jerk, Um, you know, so I think there's I think there's a lot to unpack there, but they were completely similar. And we've—I mean, it's a fun topic because mm-hmm. well, not always a fun topic. Well, yeah, but yeah the topic's fun. <laughs> the situation's not always the, the well. Most it's amazing fun. because the, you know these—they uh, use the—I don't—I don't think we listened to their their quote, but it's in their podcast. Blake called his a base hit, and or Alex called it a single, or vice versa. But mm-hmm. that's not how the ecosystem views those those two. I mean, they're viewed you know as like stars. Mm -hmm. And I think it it has everything to do with how they shut it down. And there are some other founders that have chosen a different route, and they don't have as much clout as as these two accelerators. Completely agree. Uh, So fourth and final topic,
0: love-hate for the accelerator. We're going to let you listen to some quotes where it's very explicit in what they like and don't like, and we believe it paints a very – a real and entertaining picture of this profile
2: my very first hire was a you know a non-technical person that was an, in in our, our case called an artisan and me and you both really uh, know well that the artisan mindset is completely different than mine it's a it's a very linear analytical thinker and and likes to work through a plan and steps and and I'm very circular and, and bounce things off the wall and, and fly by the seat of my pants. And, and that can create some conflict. And, and what's funny is my other second you know, hire on that company, uh, ironically, just texted me while we're on this podcast. He's got a, a business of his own, a little side hustle that he's doing now. And, and in the, the Wendell Startup DNA speak, is it, he's an operator. And as you know very well, that is my favorite profile. My father is an <laughs> operator, best man at my wedding was an operator, several of my other good friends that I've actually done with are operators. You know, lead guy on my team is an operator. You said tank, right? And then yep. he's, Schaefer. he's an operator. I work really, really well with them. And obviously I worked well
3: with him. As opposed to raising money, which is not detailed uh, finding commonalities with people. And it's the joy ride going up. I love raising money. But man, selling was tough for me, and I think I'll do a better time. I'll do a better job next time. Um, it was also my first time, and the first time for everything's hard.
1: So those were awesome. <laughs> uh, my, my 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 favorite for every founder out there. If you get nothing else, it's Blake's comment on fundraising is a joyride. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I mean, but not to him, <laughs> right? But yeah, it's so very few founders ever. So. If you're you know, if you're out there and you're like, oh, I can't fundraise and fundraising is so hard. Listen, go listen to Blake's if you listen to his whole podcast, money was never Blake's problem. Right? He could he could raise money, he could raise money, he raised it from California VCs, he raised it from local angels, he raised it from from us, a flyover VC, he raised it from friends of, I mean, you know, is a joy ride for compared to the grueling part of selling but there are founders out there we know because we've been hired at times to help some really gifted inventor type founders Mm -hmm. raise capital and they can't even get off the block and it's not a joyride Mm -hmm. to them but accelerators they'd rather pay like 20 30 percent uh carry
0: or yeah finders fee anything they'd rather do anything give up as much as they could possibly give up to just not do it it's
1: it's a complete 180 from what Blake shared I think a good lesson that we've learned too is being an entrepreneur um, is really can be very isolating mm-hmm. uh, again I don't know the statistics off the top of my head but it's something crazy like startup founders, ha- have mental health problems to about 70 to 80% more regularly than the general population. And so I think one very simple example is, one, get a co-founder, two, find out what's grueling to you and what's a joyride to you, and then get the opposite. So if you're out there and you're a founder and fundraising's grueling to you, I know at least two people you can call, Blake and Alex, (laughs) (laughs) because... Fundraising is mm. apparently like one to Kings Island, <laughs> uh, you know, for those two. So, uh, I think that was cool. And let's talk about some of the profiles that we heard them talk about that they love and struggle with. And maybe we can throw in some of our own just based on our experiences. Yeah. So uh, Alex told you he uses this all the time.
0: He's very well versed in profiles, loves operators, uh, can't get enough of them. I mean, he's always looking for an operator to work with, whether that's his Amazon business or uh, consulting work he does. He's got a few operators in the stable that uh, just, there's something about that connection and, you know, strengths, weaknesses uh, completely fill the gaps. Um, We also had a a friend that was uh, an operator that was doing uh, Kind of a side gig, maybe could be a full-fledged company, and Alex was kind of advising that. And that's kind of the operator, right? They're a super good doer. They've got uh, really vital to any startup company because they're the ones that do. They're amazing. Uh, you know, I'm sure, as we know Alex personally, he's working on 50 different things at a time. He probably picks the best two or three in a given week and then hands it to the operator to just execute. Uh, And then he's had a very difficult time working with artisans, which is a specialist profile, highly reactive and assertive. And for him, they were just too hands on. So he couldn't just hand it off and have them do. They needed to know why. Why am I doing this? What are the specifics of doing it right? Uh, they're very detail-oriented and reactive. And so you know, when you look across the wheel, those are almost in you know, direct conflict with each other. And so that was, was just funny hearing him and us knowing and working with both profiles a decent amount.
1: Uh, we we completely get it. Here's the challenge that Alex is going to have now. It's a, it's, a, it's a different type of bias. So... He knows he loves the operator, so he always wants the operator. But Alex did exit his business successfully with an artisan. And in fact, that same artisan went on, solopreneur, on his next endeavor, and he successfully exited that. So I could make a claim. I could be like, hey, Alex, um, I think you need to team up with an artisan again. But it's a conflict. I So if you think about it, If you look at our startup DNA DNA wheel, and we think about building diversified teams, and if you look at the artisan, who is literally as far east on the circle as you could be, and the accelerator as far west as you possibly could be, those two are not going to see the world the same way. But Alex says that if you go and listen to his whole podcast— You know he talks about, and he didn't know this back then. He says, "I got lucky," and as soon as he gave his co-founder this, here you take this tech platform, you do this, I'll give you control. Boom, changed his life. They had a successful exit. So you know we've seen a couple startups. So even if you didn't understand or have the science or the mathematics behind you know this this type of tool. I think the danger in building teams without it is you're going to pick up people that you like being around. I mean, we've seen teams that, I mean, I would say with 50% of the time, if, you know, you got your three or four original teams, you'll have three people in the exact same bucket. Did that happen with any fund you're aware of? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. It's. Yes, we're, like, we're living proof of that, <laughs> we, right? We are living proof, yes. Yeah. So now we're taking future steps to diversify, you know, despite, despite the pain that we may feel short term, but learning how to communicate, talk, or really understanding the needs of the different profiles can help. But I, I think... Yeah, it took me a year to learn how to interpret your emails. So
0: you're, <laughs> I'm you're I'm right a on. pro now. Yes. I'm a savage. You're very good. <laughs> you're very good.
1: So I think talking about Alex specifically and uh, love operator struggle artisan, a it makes sense. But hopefully Alex will be able to use the tool to be like, gosh darn it, I guess I'm gonna have to. I guess I'm gonna have to hire you know an, an artisan because he probably needs needs one. Well, what do you? What
0: did he say when? He left now knowing everything about startup DNA and team building. Well, he said I I could I couldn't live without it. I think he said watch out world or oh, yeah. that was the big <laughs> one. Watch yeah. out. Which is a little scary.
1: Yeah. Well, that's also yeah. enterprise speak, right? Mm-hmm. So all
0: right. Well, I think we got two minutes. Why don't you give me we won't say love hate, but yes, I'm hiring if I'm doing a solo endeavor. No, I probably would not. They would not be my first hire. You were starting a company. You're a disruptor. What are the two profiles? One you'd hire, one you would avoid.
1: So this is me. Yep. Yeah. So, and these are people to work for me and a. We're going to say co founder. Okay. You're you're launching a startup, co founder. I would definitely not bring on another enterpriser. Um, I'm blessed that I think at Kinetic are personal friendships and maturity levels have, um, you know, made this possible. Uh, and maybe where I'm at in my life has also made it somewhat possible, but this is not, this wouldn't be easy for everybody. So that wouldn't be my first move. Um, I do think you want an enterpriser, you know, early on to continue to push from the back as a part of the leadership team. But as a co-founder, I wouldn't do that for me. Because I am, while I'm energetic and I get excited about things I'm working on, I'm, I'm a little more introverted than, you know, is probably necessary to successfully get enough energy from the activities. So the very first thing that I would hire would be a closer, influencer, or administrator. So, you know, one, one of the, the, you know, one of the advocate uh, profiles to do any number of jobs that that is required um, to be community facing. And I practice what I preach. I mean, I did hire an administrator here mm-hmm. to do some investor relationship stuff and some community relationship stuff. And she's been great and gets a lot of energy from that. And that has really transformed me to do other stuff. So I would do that. And then um, my second hire, uh, for sure, would be a collaborator or, or an architect. I'm a little bit afraid of architects, but <laughs> they've built some wow. amazing stuff. Yeah. I cannot wait to do the podcast with a couple architects in our portfolio, but I'd probably either go organizer, um, I guess, really in the neutral uh, vector, or I would go architect, yeah. and that would be a really balanced team. What do you think? Of, what do you think of my team? Well,
0: I only asked you to
1: hire one person,
0: but two, uh, yeah. I, I mean, if you'd asked me, I was going to say avoid a strategist just north of me. Too similar. Yeah. Uh, we butt we would butt heads constantly uh never get anything across the line and i would hire a closer yeah um that would be the profiles in my head but yeah if it was go ahead and take your third since i did we'll close on this uh i'm starting to kind of dig the organizer i don't know why but I mean, it would probably have to be a collaborator. Just yeah. the, if I'm if I'm bringing on a closer, another dominant, I, I would look for an alpha closer. That would be my. that's my wife. I would definitely hire someone like her. Good shout out to Molly. She, Good yeah, job. organizer
1: or mediator operator would be great. Any of those three. Fun episode. That's yep. the accelerator. Uh, if anyone listening um, wants to get to know Blake and Alex a little bit better, uh, definitely start with their podcast. And um, we hope you guys um, listen to next time. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. Kinetic Ventures is an early-stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an unbiased, data-driven approach. This has resulted in a 600% increase in speed to investment, an 800% increase in funding that goes towards female and minority founders, and a 100% chance that we will use the data to get smarter over time. If you would like to learn more about Kinetic, please visit www.kineticventures or send us an email at info@kineticventures. Thanks again.